Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Y'all, I'm not joking. We're like actually at a campsite right now around a campfire. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. This is going to be our most uh, authentic, like, real, true, gritty episode ever. Because we're actually sitting at a campsite just outside of uh, Zion National Park in Utah. Yeah, Uh, we are sitting out here with... We actually, so we, <laughs> okay, I'm lying. I did lie a little bit. There is no campfire going because I lit the propane uh, fire pit that's in front of us, which I assumed would be, you know, one of those chill fire pits that, like, is more for ambiance and heat. Yeah, it I'm has tell no you, chill. Uh, <laughs> I lit it, and I'm pretty sure I almost burned off all my uh, facial hair. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have less <laughs> leg hair than I did 20 minutes ago. It was aggressive <laughs> it, it was it was exciting do you know what it reminded me immediately of in the um charlie's angels movie oh yeah that came out like the one with cram and camera diaz and stuff. yeah yeah not, yeah, not the yeah. Newest one. um bill murray is also in that yes, movie he's, he's got a small part and he's got a bit where he's at a fireplace and he he's like i like fire and then he goes to light the fireplace and it explodes like that and that was exactly what i thought of when that happened yeah it was um it was exciting so we we extinguished that fire because not only was it a little scary because we got it down but it was putting out a lot of heat mm-hmm. and it is like currently at 11 30 77 degrees so yeah. we don't need a fire pit don't don't need the fire pit um but know that there is one here there is and a fire pit and know there are candles that everywhere. you'll be getting like real genuine campsite ambiance yeah. so if you hear something strange in the background of today's story just know that it's that's like that is truth in art. Yeah. Like that is real life theater. You're going to hear some crickets and we're by a creek and, you know, the alien spaceships will fly over occasionally because we are in Utah. True. So, yeah. you know. Um, we're real close to Area 51. Yeah. We might have a Mormon stop by and try and sell us on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That, I don't know. That seems unlikely. <laughs> I think they're afraid of the dark. Oh. They're Wait, like Canadians. no, that's Canadians. Yeah. Damn, I always get that wrong. Uh, there are some cats that are wandering yeah, around. Like, um, so the people that live on the property that live off the grid that run this beautiful glamping site and will throw their link into um, the episode's information because it's beautiful. Um, uh, they have like cats and we were walking by earlier and they were bathing the cats in the creek. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And then one of the cats came outside our tent and made us a ruckus and then another cat followed us up a trail. Yep. So they like us. The cats are cute. I definitely had just a split second of thinking as we were walking past and saw um, an older gentleman with his cats down by the river and he picked one up and he was giving it a bath and I had just a second of thinking, why is that man drowning his cats? <laughs> and my, I'm like, again, I'm really excited to meet the cats and they all seem very sweet. But all, I also had a very... Um, vivid flash to the Simpsons with the crazy cat lady down by the river who is washing her cats on a washing board in the river. Uh, 
Fortunately, none of that is what actually happened. It was just no. a sweet man who was... Who was, like, cool. I think he was mainly cooling him off. Yeah. I mean, it's hot. It was, it was hot it today. Was pretty warm, yeah. Um, and he I think, was it, just I think it peaked at, like, 105, 106, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so I think he was just bathing the kitty cats, and the other one was sitting there watching the other one get bathed, and then that one got bathed. It was, like, really cute, so... Yeah. Welcome to this campsite. <laughs> Yep, it's a weird one. It's a cute one, but we decided we should try to record an episode as long as we're actually I mean, at a campsite since we're it's we're here. <laughs> since it's, you know, sort of the thing we do. If you're on Hip Camp, you can look up Creekside Glamping in Virgin, Utah. <laughs> because who are we fooling? <laughs> What's in Virgin? Well, nothing, I guess. I guess glamping. Well, what's, what's in, Vir- in Virgin? Oh, oh no. <laughs> Unless you use it's the gliding funny. technique it's of funny the Mormons. It's because it's a slow burn. Do you know the gliding technique from I, Mormons? I don't know the gliding technique. I was told technique. this by someone that it's actually, I guess it's completely a myth. But there used to be this term called gliding in Mormonism because, you know, they're not allowed to have premarital sex. Sure. So they used to just, in like, basically the guy would, you know, glide on into the woman, but there was no movement. They just, like, laid there. So that was it, and then they and then he leaves. <laughs> so it's like one really long, slow thrust. Yes, without anything exciting at the end. Until everyone gets bored and goes home. I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess that's one way to like you know to not want to have sex. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of a lot of build up to nothing. To like, okay, that's all it's about. Never mind. Probably takes longer getting ready than like, and you, you just sit there and then like, okay, yeah. this is whatever. <laughs> Utah. <laughs> it is a beautiful state. It is gorgeous. It's real pretty we out here. Took our first hike in Zion today. It was. Gorgeous. It looks like a science fiction planet. It really does. Like, I've never spent any time. And so when I arrived on Thursday for Ken's show, which was fabulous, by the way. I went to opening night yesterday. It was freaking fabulous. It's a good time. So if you're in the Utah, Nevada, Arizona area, because it's all right there, um, you should definitely check out the we Buddy Holly We call that story. the Barren Desert Tri-State. Yes, the Barren Desert Tri-State. Um Check it out, but if you're I, in a part of the country that looks like Tatooine, it's the desert planet at the beginning of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was a Star Wars thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I landed and I drove in in the middle of the night because I didn't get to Vegas until like midnight and drove in and the next morning I woke up in um his bed and I was like, let's open the window and I look out and I'm like, whoa, it's red. And then I drove out to Tuacon when he was at rehearsal and I'm just like. I just I've never experienced this topography like other than in movies or uh, like photos and stuff like that. So it's really stunning. And everybody had told me it was stunning. But, you know, it's even in pictures does not anywhere close to capture like how gorgeous it is out here. It is. The one thing is that it is dry as hell. You cannot possibly drink enough water, which is is why for the first week I was here, I was taking a restroom break every 15 minutes. Yeah, I have been drinking more water here than I've ever drunk in my entire life. Like, absolutely. <laughs> that fun fact brought to you by the Utah Bureau for Tourism. Yes. So dry, you'll overhydrate and pee yourself. <laughs> well, it's better than not hydrate enough and die. <laughs> true. True, true, true. 
Welcome to Campfire Classics. A what do we actually do? Utah tourism are, I was going to say, are we, a, are we a travel podcast now? We are a travel podcast. I mean, we might as well be. That, We're always in different places. Yeah. Um, a travel podcast, Moonlighting as a comedy literature podcast. Um, it's funny because you said moonlighting and we are under like glorious stars right what now. What we're not under is the moon. The moon? I, don't I don't know where that moon. fucker is. But maybe it's a new moon. Maybe we're a new moon night. The yeah, stars are stunning. I'm sorry. Maybe the moon's over on the other side. I need side. to stop interrupting, but like this is gorgeous. I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's it's really good that we're talking about how beautiful this is in an audio podcast. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, use those use those ten dollar words. Describe what the stars look like. The stars are illuminated like lanterns hung from the arms of angels spread across the universe. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was that was, that that was, was pretty good. That was all right. That was, that was a pretty good, yeah. that was a pretty line. Yeah. You, yeah. you yeah, you try I like it. it. No. <laughs> it's pretty and we can see it and you can't. Ha ha. <laughs> anyway, this is this is not a tourism podcast or a stars podcast or a um I don't know, a poetry podcast, although occasionally it sort of is. It's uh, poetic. This is a comedy literature podcast where we take turns every week reading short stories to you, short stories that we find in the public domain so that the dead authors families cannot sue us. Yay. And uh, we read them sight unseen for the first time while you listen to us butcher old English and weird science words. And we look up things that we don't understand and we laugh at the penis jokes that we do understand. And that pretty <laughs> that much we kind of create. And mean- that, yeah, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, and that pretty much summarizes what we do, right? Yeah, I think we so. admit to our own stupidities and then make it seem even dumber by adding to the story's stupidity. Yeah, Yeah. um, we're pretty stupid. So speaking of stupid, what am I reading this week? So speaking of stupid, uh, ordinarily what we do is we start with some fun facts, usually fun facts about the author. And or story. And And or or story or or something like that. And actually this week's fun facts are going to go by um, very quickly. Awesome. Uh, because there is not much out there about this week's author. Okay. Here. That's, that's exciting. Is uh, sort of the short version of what we know about him. The short version? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this week's author is Stuart Strauss. Okay. Except that's almost certainly not his name. It is likely a pen name, but no one is sure who it's a pen name for. Oh, I bet it was a woman. Um. Stuart Strauss wrote for Weird Tales, the pulp magazine, three stories, The Shadow on the Moor, The Soul Tube, and The Clenched Hand. Those are the three stories. Those are the three stories. Okay. That is everything the internet knows exists about this guy. Are you serious? I am serious. There there are, um, I, I have found some like uh, chat threads on things like Reddit and whatnot yeah. where people try to guess who, who, who Stuart Strauss might actually be. There have been some comparisons to, oh, this, this pulp guy or that pulp guy or whatever, whatever, whatever. But like it is all entirely speculation. She's the queen there of is, England. There is, like, <laughs> near as I can find, there is not a birth date, there is not a death date, there is not a Wikipedia page for this guy. Like, There's gotta be someone out there who knows who it is. There's too. probably well, somewhere the out there pub- who knows sure who it the is. I'm sure the publisher knows who it is. And just Maybe. Like, it might oh, have been submitted true. anonymously. 
So it's Shakespeare. So it's Shakespeare. Or the, I said it's Queen Elizabeth. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, you know, that Queen Elizabeth, different Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. No, it's it's um, uh, it's Lizzie Ten, Queen Elizabeth the Tenth. Because um, this queen can clearly not still be alive. And well, no, and I'm saying so. Lizzie Ten uh, came back in time. And okay. decided what she really wanted to be was a Pulp Fiction writer. Cool. Because Queen Elizabeth X will be born in the year 2972. Oh. Or something. Wow. Have you time traveled? No. Shh. To Oktoberfest we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that really is about the extent of what we know about this guy. Okay. So I don't know. Or a woman. Or about this writer. About this writer, yeah. Uh, so I don't know much about what we're getting into, except that this week's story came from Weird Tales. Weird Tales. Which is the which... same pulp magazine that that published people like H.P. Lovecraft and, and okay. like, you know, so those like weird writers. The, the ones that have become very famous. Yep. yep. Uh, it, it came out in 1928, and oh. it is called The Shadow on the Moor. Shadow on the moor. I mean, we are in a shadow of a giant mountain right now, so yeah. I, I can get into that. All right. Well, let's start this fire. Let's start this but fire. But don't let me get too close to it. I'll burn my eyebrows <laughs> off. The Shadows on the Moor by Stuart Strauss, whoever he may be. By Queen Elizabeth X. Yes. The stillness of the room was broken only black... Start. Blah. Blah. <laughs> was broken by only the blah. The stillness of the room was broken only by the clicking of a typewriter, which went on uninterruptedly for some time. Finally, a man arose and, stretching himself, yawned and spoke to his companion. It's too hot to work tonight, and besides, <laughs> Who could write a horror story on a night like this? <laughs> Whoa. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Is this going to be super Inception-y? Because <laughs> it's kind of hot tonight. And, uh, uh... Spoilers. Spoilers. I'm Stuart Strauss. Oh, I wrote this story... And time-traveled. ...tomorrow. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> the other man raised his eyes from his book. I suppose it should be thundering, lightning, and raining torrents with a wind that whistles around the housetops. Come on, let's hit the hay, Jerry. When he had finished his preparations for bed, Jerry Jarvis slipped out upon the balcony of the inn for a final cigarette. That is the weirdest way I've seen the word cigarette spelled ever. What it's has it spelled? C-I-G-A-R-E-T. So it's without the T. Cigar. Cigarit. Cigarit. Is that like? Is that like a tiny cigar? Uh, or is it like? Well, a, see, or is it a, like a blunt? No. The reason it's confusing <laughs> is because that's how they spell cigarette in the year twenty nine thirty seven. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot. Okay. He stood there silent, gazing off across the moor. The night was very still and the moon flooded everything with a soft, silvery light that brought all out in a marble whiteness. A softness that hid the grim and dirt, the grime, that's what it is, <laughs> a softness that hit the, hid the grime and dirt and gave the commonplace an air of beauty unseen by the glare of day. It's kind of like right now. Kind of like right now. This is creepy. <laughs> I told you, I'm going to write this tomorrow. <laughs> or Queen Elizabeth X is going to write it in a thousand years. Okay. There was only the faintest 
hint of a breeze that soft as midnight velvet whipped his dressing gowns around his legs and made the trees bend ever so gracefully, ever so slightly, seeming to bow and quiver like dancers on a polished ballroom floor. I do like a graceful tree. I do love a graceful tree. Jarvis was silent, wrapped, alone, and lost in the beauty of the night. It's like me before the episode. <laughs> For a long time, he had heard of this section of desolate country with its memories and mementos of a lost race. No other part of England held its charm. Jarvis had come here seeking new material, new color, and new ideas. He had been stagnating. Before, to him, mystery had meant the East— here at home, in the quiet of old England, was more mystery, more allure than he had ever known. Far away across the moonlit bleakness of the moor were the ruins. The mass of toppled columns and rough helm slabs set in crude circles. Wait, is he at Stonehenge? <laughs> sounds like. That sounds like Stonehenge. The stones glistened mistily and threw huge sprawling shadows beneath them like pools of blood on a... Oh, my God. Like pools of blood on a silver tray. See, why couldn't you describe the stars like this? Uh, Excuse me. I think (laughs) I did describe the stars very much like that. I was just not trying to scare anybody. (laughs) I was trying to explain how beautiful they were. This person's clearly trying to fuck us up. (laughs) Broken only by the whispering of the trees, the stillness gripped Jarvis, sending him tense, expectant, waiting. But for what? For there was only stillness and the soft rustle of the night wind amongst the trees. As Jarvis was about to toss his finished cigarette over the balcony rail and return to his room, he paused and glanced sharply across the empty lawn. He had seen something. He did not know what. There was movement, where but for a moment before had been naught but moonlight emptiness. He had heard nothing, But he was conscious of another presence. He looked out across the moor. All was as before, but here beneath the balcony was something, someone. He had caught but the fleeting glimpse of a shadow moving. I'm being followed by a moon shadow, (laughs) moon shadow, moon shadow. Or it's a cat. Or it might be a cat. The creek (laughs) staring into our tent, which happened earlier. All was as before, but here beneath the balcony was something, someone. He had caught but the fleeting glimpse of a shadow moving, where before there had been but nothingness. But nothingness. But nothingness. (laughs) (laughs) That means, does that just mean they have a really small butt? It's like... Like, no, she I got think a butt nothingness. No, Don't I think butt nothingness it. is when you think you're going to poop, but it's just gas. <laughs> See, I like to think it's like people are hanging out at a club and these two girls are at the bar and they're drinking. And this guy walks by and they're like, ooh, he's good looking. And as he goes, walks past them, they're like, oh, his butt's but, nothingness. Butt though. nothingness. Ah, <laughs> uh, butt nothingness. He's got an innie. Got an innie. Oh, no. But back to butt nothingness. It was a shadow, the dim silhouette of a woman. The time was long past midnight, and the inhabitants of the inn were all asleep. What was this woman doing here all alone on the moor at this hour? She she thought she was going to poop, but then it was just gas. (laughs) She's probably thinking the same about you on your balcony, moron. Go to bed. (laughs) 
She's like, I'm just going for a stroll. Why, why are you staring at what me? What are you doing creeping up on your balcony? Creepy old man. Smoking your misspelled cigarette. <laughs> your your snooty little cigar cigarette. <laughs> cigarette. The sight of something alive here in this deserted place and at this hour made him shiver. It was so out of all keeping with his thoughts in the place. Icy fingers of dread clutched his heart. That's what happens when I see people wandering around. I'm like, ew, I have to talk to somebody. Gross. I was yeah. gonna, I thought I was alone. It's like the day when we were on the, pa- the, tra- uh, the trail and we had not seen anyone for like over, an, well, well over, over an hour, an hour. and a half. Yeah. Like we had gone all the way out to the trail. We saw the beautiful outlook, and I was like, oh, this is so cool because we haven't seen anybody. And I, as we're walking back from the outlook, we, like, passed a woman, and Ken goes, oh, a human. And I was like, huh. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, oh, God, oh, God, you're ruining my nature. See, the, the, the thing is, that's me every time I see a human. <laughs> I know, sweetie. Whereas when I go like hiking, icy and stuff, I don't fingers see of dread clutching at my heart. <laughs> your icy, icy fingers of dread at your heart. <laughs> it's a rough life. And I worry so deeply about butt nothing. <laughs> butt nothing. Then he shrugged his shoulders and smiled. Oh, <laughs> that was that was a quick turnaround. Then he shrugged his shoulders and smiled. It was nothing. Some tourists out to see the moor. <laughs> So he just like he just uh, logicked away every every yep. fear he had. But what was a woman doing here alone at this hour? Nonetheless, here she was moving slowly across the silvery waste towards the ruins that were so white and still in the glow of the dying moon. Ooh, nasty. <laughs> That's a creepy image right there. That's a good one. Jarvis rubbed his eyes, shook his head, and looked again. The shadow was still there but becoming fainter and more distant. He paused, and suddenly a thought came to him. Shadows were cast by bodies. They were mere reflections of a concrete shape. Perhaps a wind-blown tree had cast it. But the shadow, which seemed a woman, was bodiless. There was only the shadow and no figure. Shadow to cast such strange reflections to find that the shadow was actually bodiless brought back all of his first terror. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah, that was just a shadow. Um, is Peter Pan around? <laughs> I was, I definitely jumped to Peter Pan. Yeah, I immediately, like a disembodied shadow. Yeah. Yeah. I was going, is, is, uh, is, is, is Mary, Mary Martin, Martin going to jump in and <laughs> start Martin's singing? Mary jump through my his window. Shadow. <laughs> Have you seen my shadow? And put it on with soap. <laughs> Because soap is the stickiest thing you could think of. I know. Of. I, every I, time I watched that movie as a kid, and I watched it a lot because I loved it, um, I was like, why is she trying to put slippery. it on with soap? What's the matter with you? <laughs> like, you dumb woman you playing strange a boy, playing boy girl singing thing. about crowing. I don't understand. <laughs> but I loved it. Uh, this was not earthly. It was uncanny, impossible, yet... His eyes told him that the impossible was fact. Through his mind raced all the tales he had heard of this lonely, lovely country, of things that should be dead but lived, things spoken only in whispers and never to be mentioned. The shadow was moving towards the ruins. What was happening here beneath this window? Strange, weird, terrorizing. There was but one thing to do, 
I knew he was going to say this. Follow. Dude. Dude. I mean. Dude, when your choices are but one and but nothing, do but nothing. (laughs) But one. He said there was but one thing to do. When your choices are but one or but nothing, you do but nothing. That is is exactly what I do. There was but one thing to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you don't follow them. I'll tell you that. Don't I don't follow. care if they have but nothing or but glorious. Like, it, you don't follow. It, well, just like if, you know, it's dark out right now. Not seeing a ton outside of the little circle of light that's being cast around our campsite. Quite literally. If there's a strange rustling in the leaves, I'm not going to go out into the darkness to see what it is. Nope. I'm staying my ass right here. Even though we probably know it's a cat. Because we've probably seen two right around our, it's our campsite. It's probably a cat, but, but it this could is be also the Utah lion. wilderness. It could be a mountain lion or a, a ghost. Or the giant demonic albino killer llama of death and destruction. You never know with that I fucker. I did hear that was last seen in Utah. Yeah. yeah. Been chasing me all over the damn country. <laughs> Silently, he dropped over the rail of the low balcony caught up with and followed behind the shadow of the woman if woman it were <gasps> dun, 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 dun. it seemed to Jarvis that this ghostly pursuit lasted for hours now he would lose it and would wait then in a few moments he would see the dim outlines again before him always moving towards the heap of rocks the ruins that had held his fancy with their starkness Now and then, clouds scuttled across the face of the moon, and the moor took on strange lights and patches of color. On and on he followed, and suddenly stopped, dead still. For in the place of the one shadow, there were now many, all hurrying in the same direction towards the ruins, bodiless shapes that moved noiselessly before him. Yeah, that's when you turn around and go back home. <laughs> Some of us never left home, but if you did, you know, this well, is a good like, time to go back like home. Like, you go from chase, like, from following or stalking one little lady ghost, and all of a sudden there's hundreds of lady ghosts. Yeah, you don't want to be there. Nope. That's called witches. Yep. <laughs> like, you, you about to get fucked up, and you probably deserve it because you're stalking this woman yep. through the moors at night, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> but, like, serious question. How's the butt? Well, now there's lots of them. <laughs> now they were nearing the ruins. Jarvis could make out how... Cr- now it's not just butt one, it's butt many. But many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not butt nothingness or butt one. It's butt many. But plethora. <laughs> but all the butts. Now that they were nearing the ruins, Jarvis could make out how crude they were, how rough-hewn... Yet, withal, they held a subtle sense of majestic power, of latent evil, a sense of darkness and decay, a sense of age and forgotten secrets. He wondered, who were the people that had built them? What strange gods had they worshipped here? And how many savage cries of exultation had risen on the still, moonlit air and echoed far across the now deserted moor? Aliens. But ladies. But but alien ladies. Alien. But aliens. But aliens. Oh. Alien alien butts. Alien shadow butt ladies. That's it. We solved it. We can stop reading now. <laughs> I'm calling Area 51. We found the alien butt Hello. ladies. 
put me in touch with the president, I have found the alien butt shadow ladies. Alien butt shadow ladies. Copy. This is so dumb. <laughs> okay, we're on the deserted moor. Yep. From out of the stillness came a weird sound, then music soft and low in the distance, soft and yet with an eerie strain that chilled his blood and echoed in his brain. Excuse me. That was such a beautiful song. That was the that was what echoed in his brain. <laughs> the music increased its beat and time, and in it were cries of lust and forbidden desires. This is like yeah. he is straight up walking into a like witch's orgy right now. <laughs> like yep. it's like it's like the winter solstice or something, and they're all there to like you know worship. They're drinking and partying and like getting naked yep. and yeah, it's about to get it's about to get nasty. Sex magic. Sex magic. <laughs> Quick, how's the rest of that song go? Sex magic. Sex magic. I'm going to sex you magical man. <laughs> so that started as the advertising <laughs> jingle for the game Crossfire <laughs> and ended as what I'm fairly certain is a Marilyn Manson song. It got dark. It got dark real fast. Yep. <laughs> You'll following. get caught up in the sex magic. Sex magic. No, see, I went Sex magic. Yours is like a 90s. Sex magic. 90s, yeah, yours is a 90s like TV show. Mine is like. No, it's it's the, the magical man. But but the, the little melody you started, it was, do you, do you remember the game Crossfire? No. Crossfire. Okay. So what Crossfire was <laughs> is it was this board and there were a couple little spinny things on ball bearings and you had like these um, guns that shot little BBs across the board, and the goal was to get the the like the star and the triangle into your opponent's goal. It was called Crossfire. I have never seen that game. It's like Hungry Hungry Hippos, but not. But but like <laughs> the exact opposite of Hungry Hungry Hippos, okay. because instead of trying to eat all of the little BBs, you're shooting the little BBs at a target, and you're trying to get the target to move to all the way to your opponent's side of the board. Yeah, I I don't don't think. I know that game and or that commercial, but um, maybe I heard it a lot as a child and it stuck and um, I have unwillingly stolen it and turned it into a weird Marilyn Manson song. You know, we all get a sample. We all get a take. Yeah. Oh, wait, we're, we're reading a story. I totally forgot. Um, okay. Yeah, so- that was a really good like nine minute <laughs> tangent we just went on. <laughs> Okay, so he's following the women into the to the ruins. Into the sex magic the den. The closer he gets to them, he's hearing music that has turned um, into cries of lust and forbidden desires. That's where we are. Good. The shadows with Jarvis close behind him were approaching the ruins, coming closer, ever closer, and the moon now setting in the west cast pale rays on the rude stones that lay sprawling in drunken rings. The music became more terrible tore at his brain like iron fingers. Strange voices whispered of uncanny, revolting mysteries. Obscene shapes floated before his eyes. Ever, ever the music hammered at his brain. I think he's going to a rave. The music throbbed through all his senses. Frenzy swayed him and swept away his last touch of wisdom. 
He was a primate, one of the first men, uncivilized, terror-stricken, back in the dawn of time, back with terror and rolling drums. He gave way to the madness. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right, he's he gone full Neanderthal. gone crazy. <laughs> it's like uh, uh, Hocus Pocus. It's like, don't listen to the music. Don't listen to the music. <laughs> I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. He gave way to the madness of the music, cast aside his garments, and ran as naked as the first man after the shadows that were converging into a dark mass toward the narrow entryway between two huge rough helm pillars. With a cry of exultation, Jarvis sprang after them, and then it seemed to him that the whole world was shaken by a thunderclap. A heavy weight struck across his shoulder. He moved forward, stumbled, and fell. As through a mist, he saw flickering lights and heard hoots and bellows, and in his brain echoed screeches and catcalls. The music roared into a terrifying crescendo, then blackness and oblivion came over him. He awoke to painful consciousness in the gray of an early dawn, shivering and cold, surprised to find himself here alone, naked upon the gray and barren moor. How had he gotten here? Then memory came back to him. He recalled how he had run screaming naked into the moonlight, remembering the shadow and the horror of the ruins. He looked up and saw he was lying not more than five feet from the entrance. Seen in the light of dawn, the piles were still sinister but not horrible. A mass of gray, tumbled-down rocks and crude broken columns. Sinister but surely no terror could lurk within them. Soon Jarvis located his cast-off clothing. I was like, is he ever going to put clothes on? I was like, like a school group's going to come to her Stonehenge and be like, oh my god! <laughs> it's okay, kids. Sometimes people get drunk and run naked into the nighttime <laughs> and they bonk their heads on the stone and then... It's okay, guys. You, you know, when you hit 40, things get weird. <laughs> gotta, gotta keep things fresh. Soon Jarvis located his cast-off clothing and wearily started to return to the inn, which he could see in the distance. But surely not the distance he had come on the preceding night. <laughs> Shakingly, he laughed, for he must have been running around in circles. He decided he would tell no one of his nocturnal adventures. You know, good call, buddy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I would, I would uh, strongly agree with that. Just write it down as a story and pretend it never really happened. And... Write it down, pretend it never happened, and write it under a name that no one knows. Ooh, this probably actually happened to this guy. That's why, or this woman. Because it actually happened, and he's like, I can't tell anybody about so this. Stuart Strauss's real name is Jerry Jarvis. Yeah. Or, no, it's it's probably like JJ something. It's JJ. JJ. It's Jeremy Jordan. <laughs> Unobserved. He gained his room, and after bathing and dressing, he joined his friend for breakfast. Nothing was said concerning his experiences, and in the afternoon, they returned to London. Once more at home, Jarvis plunged into work with new vigor, striving in it to erase from his mind the events of that night upon the moor, the night with all of its unexplained, mysterious happenings and horrors, over which brooded those aged, ageless ruins. Slowly, as time passed, the thing began to slip from his memory, 
to be recalled only on moonlit nights when he had stayed too long over his books or had too much whiskey. <laughs> or a weird cigarette. Or, yeah, yeah, I bet there was... See, maybe it was a blunt he was smoking. Maybe, yeah, he was, he he was, smoking, that, he was smoking that jazz lettuce. He was the jazz lettuce. I mean, it was the 20s. As he was reading the paper one morning, he ran across an item that at once attracted his attention and caused him to remember too vividly things he wished to forget, things that tugged at his mind despite his desire to let them slip into a place of unwanted memories. The item was dated at the little village where he had spent that never-to-be-forgotten time. Dead man found on the moor. Early this... Okay, and this is the report. Early this morning, the body of Charles Gilbert, living at the Blue Boar Tavern, was found on the moor near the ruined temple, naked and his head crushed by a mammoth rock, apparently fallen from the ruins. How such a huge slab had been dislodged is one of the mysteries that surround this case. Near the body were found the nightclothes of the dead man. No motive for the crime was apparent. The mere fact of the bodies being there has only deepened the mystery. Gilbert was a famous student of pre-Druidistic... Mm, Druidistic? Druidistic. Druidistic. That's a fun word. <laughs> Gilbert was a famous student of pre-Druidistic culture and remains. To Jarvis came an overwhelming desire to revisit the moor. No, why would you... Dude. Dude, you got out this, lucky. This is going to end very badly for you, our friend Jarvis, and he's going to deserve it because he's a dumbass. Because you don't go back to the place that you somehow escaped that this guy who actually studies this shit died from. Just saying. I'm just saying. Stay in London. Write your books. It's you fine. You should have just stayed on the balcony and had another And had another jazz cigarette. cigarette. Yeah. To see... Okay, so he wants to revisit the moor. To see again its sinister ruins and the bodiless shadows, he wished to solve, if possible, the enigma hidden behind those rings of crouching stones. I'm sure Spoilers, so did the guy that not died. possible. <laughs> Charles Gilbert was trying to do the same thing. That's what he studied. <laughs> Come on, people. Here was something deadly, something dangerous that had taken human life and would beyond all doubt be unappeased until more had fallen under its malevolent spell. Yes, exactly. So you shouldn't go back there. <laughs> Quickly he packed, as if fearing he might change his mind, and returned to the little inn that nestled on the border of the somber moor where such strange events had taken place. Sometimes it's okay to change your mind. Yeah, I, I, I think um, that's called intuition, um, and uh, sometimes you should follow it. <laughs> okay. He found the place almost deserted. Well, yeah, because someone just died there, dude. Yep. <laughs> Who wants to stay at the hotel down the road from the ruins of devils that find dead people, like, laying there or naked in the morning? Like, that just sounds like a place I don't want to hang out. No, thank you very much. And, like, you know I love a good, like, mystery thing, but I'm like, come on. Okay. Yeah, but you want you want the deceased to have deceased at least a hundred years ago, exactly. not last week. He found the place almost deserted. The mysterious death of Gilbert had frightened away the casual tourists. Mm -hmm. You think? The innkeeper was pathetically glad to see Jarvis. He bustled up, and after having arranged with him about his room, he asked, "And uh, what are you doing here, Mister Jarvis?" I came for a little rest and a little quiet, Johnson. 
Well, you'll get it here, sir. No one comes here anymore after Mr. Gilbert's death, sir. It's the moor. She frightens them. She's bad, is the moor. No one knows her secrets, and if they do learn, well, they don't come back, sir. Oh, oh God. Welcome to the inn. <laughs> Maybe sell your business and try yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> Welcome to the inn where I'm going to tell you that it's haunted around here. <laughs> Jarvis looked at him for a moment and then broke the silence that followed the innkeeper's last remark. What do you know about those ruins? Well, Mr. Jarvis, not much, sir, but I know this. I wouldn't go there for a million pounds, I wouldn't. There's things there, sir, that a man better not talk about. There's death there and worse. <laughs> Don't be an ass, Johnson. <laughs> um... Excuse me, Jarvis. Um, you know, well, first of all, he's not being an ass. Someone definitely died there, so there is death there. There is death there, yeah. And you witnessed the uh, the uh, um, things that you don't talk about. You know, like yeah. naked savagery, uh, naked women running around screaming about lust. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Also, why are you going around calling people ass Johnsons? Yeah. <laughs> ass Johnson. Yeah, we did, We went from butt one and butt nothingness to ass. To ass Johnson. Wow, we just escalated a lot. We went from butt to ass. We just went from PG to PG-13. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Don't be an ass, Johnson, said Jarvis crossly, and climbed the stairs to his room. Rude. <laughs> After his dinner, Jarvis strolled toward the village, which lay at no great distance from the inn. Lights glimmered yellowly through the shuttered windows. At every house, the door was strangely barred. At the dusk deepened into darkness, and the few people who were upon the streets disappeared. And except for the glow of the few poor street lamps, the village was dead and deserted. Jarvis returned to his lodging, ready to take up his nocturnal vigil. He sat in the unlighted room, trying to pierce the mystery that lay out there on the silent moor. Downstairs, the inn clock struck two. The fire that had been played so merrily upon his hearth was setting out its last dying rays, and the lights flickering over high walls made ghost-like figures that danced and rolled like souls in torture. Jarvis arose with a sigh, and opening his casement windows, he stepped out upon the balcony. I knew it, you dumbass. <laughs> the air was cold, with a touch of winter in its fingertips, but the moor was bright, brighter even than it was the other night six months before. Shivering slightly, he stood waiting, with his eyes intent upon the patch of lawn where he had seen the shadow which had no body. Very slowly, time passed. Twice he had heard the clock below stairs strike the hour. Finally, Jarvis felt certain that nothing would occur this night, went to bed, and at once fell asleep. Dream after dream pursued each other through his brain, each more horrible than the last. Queer, bloated things dancing with witches. A monstrous, hairy being without eyes performed strange rites. Oh, it's like fear, weird, creepy uh, um, um, Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's um, Gritty. Oh, the Philadelphia guy? Philadelphia, Philadelphia is, that his, is that his name? Yes. Gritty? That is terrifying. Uh, it is, that is actually terrifying. Uh, <laughs> if I was dreaming of, if I had dreams about Gritty, I would be upset too. The eerie music of the moor echoed in his brain, 
And in all these dreams, the ruins had their grim and terrifying part, silently brooding, overlooking the obscenity with the circle of crumbling rocks. He awoke in a cold sweat of terror and lay for some time, almost fearing to return to sleep. But finally, he dropped off into untroubled rest. After a meager breakfast, he mapped out his procedure for the day. He had a letter to write, and then the rest of the day was to inspect the ruins. So after posting a letter to a firm in London, he shouldered his knapsack of lunch and went to spend the day upon the moor. At least he went during the day this time. Yep. Better life choices. Mm-hmm. When he he's going to go back at night. Yeah. <laughs> or he's never going to leave. Let's be real. When he reached the ruins, he stood and inspected them carefully. On that sunshiny morning, the gray pile of rocks looked very peaceful. Vines and mosses grew here and there over them. On some of the stones were crude, carven figures and designs half obliterated by storm and decay. As he was walking around the circle of broken rocks, he soon saw the gateway through which he had plunged on that never-to-be-forgotten night. He entered and found himself in a hollowed circle which was several inches below the level of the moor. Nothing was visible except hard-packed earth. Carefully, he searched for footprints but found none. Then from the inside, he examined diligently each post and stone for some sign of recent use. But again, he drew a blank. Giving up his quest for the time, he ate his lunch and then continued to search as fruitlessly as before. As far as appearance showed, there had been no one here for ages. But here, a thought struck him. Before the death of Gilbert, the ruins had been frequently visited by tourists, and yet there was no sign of them. Certainly, this was queer. It was a puzzle he could not solve. Tiring of his useless search, he left the ruins and started for the village and the inn. As he reached the entrance of the ruins and stooped over to pick up his knapsack, he noticed a hidden crevice between the stones, a fragment of paper. He picked it up and looked at it closely. It was dirty, torn, and weather-beaten. A leaf evidently torn from a notebook, for the paper was small and could very easily have fitted into the pocket. It had been carelessly torn, for only a part of a sentence was visible. The handwriting was neat and painstaking. The scrap of paper had neither beginning nor end. Discovered secret today. We'll return for further investigation tonight. The altar is... Then came the tear running clear across the page. In the still remaining upper corner were the initials C.G. Charles Gilbert, bitches. Uh-oh. He figured out the secret, so they killed him. Do-do-do. Unless CG actually stands for computer graphics. And he's in the future. Yeah, and he's in the future. Or it's aliens that came or it's from aliens. the future. Yeah. Or it's... um um Discovered a secret today, CG. <laughs> Evidently, the dead man on the moor had found something that eluded Jarvis. The mention of the altar puzzled him. Surely the matter was becoming more involved, more mystifying. Jarvis was as much lost in darkness as he had ever been. The thing had a deeper look. He could see no beginning and no end. Placing the scrap of paper in his wallet and turning the jumble of thoughts over in his mind, 
he returned to his lodgings. As he opened the door, Jarvis was impressed by the bright hospitality of the place. The inn's room was cheerily alit. A fire blazed and flickered on the hearth, and around it, seated in a semicircle, were some of the village worthies. What's a village worthy? I guess, like, cool people? The, the, the cool people, the rich, the rich people? people, you know. <laughs> the village worthies. <laughs> the ones worthy of being people. Of, of being cool. The smoke on their pipes wreathed out about their heads. It is, said Jarvis to himself, like a page straight out of Dickens. <laughs> I love when I love when authors reference other authors. It's so fun. It's like Do you think podcast listeners enjoy it as much when we reference other podcasts as we enjoy it when writers reference other writers? I don't know. I doubt food it. Food for thought. It's just food for thought. Just you know, think on that. Think on that. That's one to grow on. <laughs> The opening of the door caused them to turn and stare at him, and in the memorable manner of all villagers, they spoke to him courteously. Little Johnson, the innkeeper. Oh, now he's Little Johnson. Wow, he's just demeaning this guy. Like <laughs> Little Johnson, ass Johnson. Little Johnson? That's not very nice to say to somebody. How does he know he has a Little Johnson? Little ass Johnson. <laughs> little ass Johnson. I mean, you can tell if he has a little ass, I guess. But yeah. little Johnson, well, like, how do you? I don't know. Maybe he's maybe walking around pants. naked on the moor. Oh, maybe he was. Yeah. Little Johnson, the innkeeper, bustled up and made a place for him around the circle. And when Jarvis had been made comfortable with a cigar, oh, so this time he has a cigar, and a glass of steaming toddy. Yum. <laughs> Ew. Steaming toddy sounds like a like a poo drink. <laughs> Cleveland steamer. <laughs> oh, I love my steaming toddies. <laughs> I left a good steaming toddy in the bathroom last night. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> the innkeeper then introduced him. This is Mr. Jarvis, the riding gentleman who wants to know something about the moor. Mr. Jarvis, uh, these are the mayor and the selectmen of the village. So they're the town council. Yeah. The worthies. <laughs> yeah. There was a silence for some time as though they were all plunged deeply into thought. Finally, an old gray beard, the mayor, shook his head and spoke. There ain't none of us here that knows much about her, sir. Nothing at all except George here. And, well, George, he can't speak, poor fella, because he's dumb. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> That like, deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure, sure knows, knows a lot about the moor. <laughs> oh, it's the beginning of Tommy. Okay. I bet this guy can't speak because he saw some shit on the moor and they, like, cut his tongue out or some shit. Well, that's why Tommy can't speak. Well, yes, because he was traumatized. He, he, yes. he gets he's traumatized yeah. and, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jarvis followed the pointing finger and saw, huddled in a corner, as close to the fire as possible, a wisp of a man, so emaciated and dried up that he looked like a mummy. Countless centuries seemed to have passed over his head. How old he was, Jarvis could not judge. The countenance was terrifying, not a face at all, but a ghastly caricature of a human face. Always, Jarvis thought, it would haunt his dreams. Because he needs more things to haunt his dreams. I'm like, guy, He's never go back sleep. to London. He's never going to sleep and again. And just stop this. Well, he's never going to sleep again. He's going to die. Let's be real. Dreadful. Worse than bestial, it leered at him from across the room. 
The mouth, a flabby gash from whey saliva trickled down the chin, moving constantly, emitting little clucking noises. Oh, my God. This is is the scariest thing this story's had so far. That's grotesque. Oh, my God. Yuck. The eyes fascinated Jarvis like the eyes of a snake. They were round, full, nearly opaque, of a dull gray glassiness shot with fine red lines. Why... He is blind as well as dumb, exclaimed Jarvis. That he is, sir. He walked too late on the moor one moonlit night and saw the shadows. The last words scattered all of Jarvis's fast-disappearing equanimity? Equanimity? Equanimity. Like, his... His, like, his, uh, cool. Basically, like, his cool, I'm guessing. Equanimity, noun, mental calmness, yep. composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. He lost his cool. Yeah. 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 He freaked the fuck clues. out. He freaked the fuck out. Yep. So the shadows were common gossip. The shadows, he exclaimed. Yes, sir, they haunt the moor near the ruins and mean death or worse to such as see them. George isn't dead. No, sir. He ran away before he heard the music. And don't you think he would be better off dead? There'd be strange things on the moor. Cries and shouts and lights where there ain't nothing or nobody. I tell you, sir, we stay clear of the moor on the moonlit nights, sir. It is the summer and late fall. Rest of the time, nothing happens. It's best not to go out of doors on them nights. Them ruins is terrible. They be haunted places, and it be wise not to go anywhere close to them, sir. I warned Mr. Gilbert, him that was killed, you know, but he wouldn't pay no attention to me, and they got him. Who are they? asked Jarvis, sensing that he was getting to the crux of the matter at last. They be shadows, sir. Shadows that ain't got no bodies, so I hear. I ain't seen them yet, praise God. Shortly after this, Jarvis, tiring of the now commonplace conversation, excused himself, and leaving the circle around the fire, went to his room. Switching on the light, he noticed a package lying on his table. It was the book that he had ordered from London, entitled Pre-Druidistic Ruins in England. Seating himself in a chair beside the shaded reading light, he was soon deeply engrossed in his purchase. As he read on and on, he stopped with a jerk and then reread more carefully the following two paragraphs. Dun, dun, dun! Perhaps the most interesting of these ancient ruins are those of Humbleton, which are the earliest known, as far as we have been able to trace. How far back beyond the Druids and their religion these ruins of another race and age go, we can only estimate. It is, in fact, almost impossible to tell. There is another factor that makes the piles of Humbleton of exceeding interest to students. While it is, as we have stated before, the oldest of the ruins, it is, strangely, the best preserved. And so far as investigation can go, there is no sound reason for this being the case. The carving, in most cases, is remarkable clear, and the dancing ring almost in its original state. Here, however, we encounter the most peculiar factor in these remains. While the dancing ring is very wonderfully preserved, the moon altar, which in the distinguishing features of most pre-Druidistic piles, is missing. 
The moon altar in all similar ruins discovered is a huge stone carved in the shape of a new moon. From all evidence we can gather, the victim, or the sacrifice, to term it more fitly, was tied between the horns of these altars, and then sacrificed by the sacred knife, as is shown in many carvings. Thank you. I said, they're sacrificing people. Come on. Like, don't go into the, like, the, the witch's circle. Come on, people. Come on. No one has seen any movies. I mean, it was 1928 it's, when this yeah. came <laughs> You are correct. No one has seen any movies. <laughs> yeah, but they... Like the witch trial, like I mean, come on, everyone knows. Like Shakespeare, Shakespeare wrote about witches. Come on, come on, come on. It seemingly carried a huge crescent-shaped blade and must, from the pictures, have a edge-like razor. In most cases, the altar is found in the exact center of the dancing ring. There has been an intensive search made for the one at Humbleton, but so far without satisfaction. The absence of the altar in this, the best preserved of all pre-Druidistic remains, makes one of the most fascinating studies for the student of these things. As he finished reading, Jarvis remembered the slip of paper he had found on the moor early that evening. That torn scrap of paper that ended so suddenly. The altar is... What could the rest of the sentence be? What was lost by his not having found the remaining fragment? Undoubtedly, Gilbert had found the answer to the puzzle and the answer to the great secret of the moor, the secret that had eluded all the other students and archaeologists. Why, here, in the best preserved of all ruins, there's no moon altar? Because, like, oh my god! <laughs> Even in the most ravaged of the others, the altar was conspicuous, but here none could be found. At last, Jarvis arose and stretched himself. He was cramped and tired. He looked at his watch. It was after two. Uh-oh. And he sat engrossed in his reading longer than he had realized. I looked at my watch. It was time to go. The band leader said we ain't playing no more. We were <laughs> reeling and rocking. It's about to get real fucked up, I have a feeling. Yep. I think we're, we're pulling into a... Uh, um, into a uh, steady uh, spiral of, uh-oh. <laughs> Pulling on a sweater, Jarvis opened his casements and stepped upon the balcony. Again, it was moonlight. For this was the season of the moon, when bright nights were common and the people of the village kept behind barred doors. The moor was white, cold, and apparently tenantless. The night was very still. Not even the breath of a breeze stirred the trees, and the shadows of the buildings and the shrubbery were solid black patches of darkness on the silver lawn. Over the moor, far in the distance, were the ruins, clear-cut and white beneath the moon. But there was always something about them, Jarvis thought, a majestic power holding threats, and a menace of dark deeds still unfulfilled. He stood looking intently at the patch of lawn where he first had seen the shadow, he waited for what seemed to him for hours. Then, as his glance wandered and came back, he saw it. The shadow. So the trick is to not be looking for it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's usually what they say, you know, about relationships, about ancient druid demons. Yeah. Magic eye puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Again, it was a woman who moved apparently stealthily across the lawn, but over the moor, ever towards the ruins. Stealthily, Jarvis followed after her, emulating Ulysses. He had, oh, oh, oh! 
emulating Ulysses, he had stuffed his ears with cotton because he had no desire to hear the throb of the music and turn his blood to flame. On and on, he followed the ghostly chase. Good. That was a good move. That's, good thinking. That's smart. As before, he pursued the shadow, now losing it in some patch of darkness, now seeing it once more as it crossed an open place, on and on, keeping well beneath the bodiless woman. <laughs> so he likes her on top. Okay, good to know. Yeah, but like, how much fun can it be if she doesn't even have a body? Ghost sex. <laughs> mm. Go sex, go sex, go sex, keep you not pregnant. Go sex, go sex, they can't use the sperm. I'm pretty sure most ghosts are entirely <laughs> sperm, actually. I've seen Casper. <laughs> True. <laughs> he does look like a little spermy. All right, so he's going on, he's underneath the bodiless woman. Okay. Though he could not hear, he could sense that now the music was swelling out over the moor. Because of the cotton in his ears, he remained unmoved. The pace of the shadow quickened, and he hastened after it. They were now at the gateway. For some time, Jarvis had been noticing the growing number of shadowy forms. The space before the entrance of the dancing floor was crowded with wriggling, hurrying black shapes. The strangeness of being able to see all this that no other living person except dumb George. <laughs> Don't call him dumb George. That's mean. <laughs> so last week it was a wriggling orgy of color. Yes, and this it's week it's wriggling, wriggling black shapes. Wriggling black shapes. <laughs> so we're on a wriggling uh, agenda here this month at Campfire Classics. Wriggling, wriggling. Wriggle, wriggle. I, yeah, I need to stop singing. We're pushing the wriggling agenda. <laughs> yeah. Tell your... I don't, I don't know uh, what that is yet. I, I haven't decided. The Probably has something to do with sperm. I'm, uh, it better. The strangeness of being able to see all this and no other living person except dumb George had ever seen thrilled Jarvis deeply. But then suddenly a thought came to him. The sight had made that other both blind and dumb, yet he himself was not affected in the least. What was the reason for this? Its mystery allured him, but he dismissed it from his mind and sped on after the shadows. He could tell from the way the shadows were moving that the music was now booming in the air, full of haste and lust and darkness. The very thought made him think of those eerie phantom... What? Phantasmagoria? Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. Ooh. That sounds dirty. Phantasmagoria um, was a form of horror theater that, among other techniques, used one or more magic lanterns to project frightening images such as skeletons, demons, and ghosts onto walls, smoke, or semi-transparent screens, typically using rear projection to keep the lantern out of sight. So shadow puppetry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. The very thought made him think of those eerie phantasmagoria of the grand jugalo... That sounded anti-Semitic. Guignol. Guignol. The grand guignol. It means puppet. Oh, it's a gi giant puppet? Yeah. Ew, gross. <laughs> there were... 
They were now at the very threshold of the dancing floor. Something grasped Jarvis by the shoulders and hurled him through the gateway. Then, hearing a crash behind him that penetrated even through the cotton of his ears. Oh, it penetrated his ears into some freaky shit. Hey, ev- there's a kink out there for everyone. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah okay. Also, it's- like, cotton would not be my first choice of <laughs> earplug material I, I anyway. I'd get, like, some wax or yeah. something. Like, come on. So it penetrated through the cotton of his ears. So close he was to it, he turned and saw a huge slab that had fallen from the top of the archway and now lay in the exact center. Oh, somebody saved him. Same thing happened last time. Someone pushed him. Right. Someone's there. Someone's Someone's trying to help him. But also a huge slab just landed directly in the center of the dance ring, which is exactly where the sacrificial altar goes. Yes, that too. Well, because, like, the one guy died because a huge slab fell on his head. Yep. Interesting. All right, here we go. I'm I'm in. I'm in. I want to know what happens. It seemed to him that the huge stone had an intention, a purpose, a malevolent design. Its fall seemed time to the fraction of a second. Had it not been for that impetus of unseen forces... Had he been but a movement slower, he would have been crushed to a pulp beneath its ponderous weight. As he now glanced at it, he thought it seemed to have a personality, an old soul and evil longing to crush at atoms the lives of those who entered its once sacred portals. The mystery of Gilbert's death upon the moor had now been solved. He had been but a moment too late to cross the threshold. Jarvis swung around again and faced the hard-packed earth of the dancing floor. Here the shadows were gathering in a ring, circling, whirling to the soundless music, now turning this way, now spinning that in complete silence, yet in a mad frenzy of motion. As Jarvis watched them, it seemed as though he were becoming paralyzed, and too, something was affecting his eyes. Objects became blurred and hazy, yet the shadows themselves seemed more and more distant. With a rush, the shadows came together, and in a mass, the dance grew wilder and more abandoned. Suddenly, they stopped with shadowy arms uplifted. In the exact center of the dancing floor, something was rising. (laughs) (laughs) Here it comes. Sometimes it does that. Here it comes. Get it? Oh, yes, I followed. Okay. I said to say, here it comes. You get it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can you, can you, can you tell, did you say butt rising? (laughs) It's not your butt that does the rising. <laughs> no, it's not. Do you not. need an anatomy lesson? <laughs> Apparently, some people do. Something was rising. Inch by inch, it seemed to struggle through the hard-packed earth. Finally, Jarvis could partially distinguish what it was. A huge stone. And by the paleness of the moon, now dimming on the horizon's edge, he could make out it off. Its odd shape, which seemed like a monstrous half moon lying on its back with its two sharp horns pointing skyward. Beside it was another shadow with arms uplifted, that of a man, huge and powerful. Jarvis had never seen a man of such stature. It's Carl Drogo. He could see the <laughs> he could see the shadow. Actually, it's just um, Jason Momoa. <laughs> he does not have but nothing. You know, he does not. <laughs> He could see the shadow's giant torso, the swelling chest, the pillar-like legs, and the arms long and muscular with great long-fingered 
prehensile hands. So it's Jason Momoa. Yeah. All this cast a high relief against the whiteness of the altar, for altar he now knew, for altar he now knew to be. At last, the Moor had given up to him her deepest secret, and he knew too why the search for all but Gilbert had been unsuccessful, and Gilbert had paid with his life for the secret. The shadow man lowered his arms, and the multitude of shadows threw themselves on their faces as the altar finally came to rest on the surface on the floor. To Jarvis, it seemed as if thick smoke rolled before his eyes. As through a cloud, he saw the shadow man rise and turn toward... The shadow man is funny because that's the name of the guy in The Princess and the, the Frog. Princess and the Frog, yeah. <laughs> Who's like the bad guy, with like the voodoo, voodoo guy. Oh, he's very scary. He is very scary. He's very skinny, though, so... Um, Maybe it's like the shadow man's cousin. Um, <laughs> he turned. He's just been working out. Oh yeah, he 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 was doing his protein shakes. As through as through a cloud, he saw the shadow man rise and turn toward him and point a commanding figure. Oh, he's about to get sacrificed, fuckers. <laughs> well, yeah. For the first time, real terror smote him, and he knew such fear as few men have ever known. He tried to turn and run. But it was if he were turned to a stone as heavy and solid as those silent stone gray rocks around him. Amid the gathering blackness, he saw the shadows, now dimmed, spring suddenly upon him. He felt hot breaths on his cheek. Shapeless, shadowy hands tore at him. Strong hands they were. Surely such strength could not belong to bodiless shadows. But he could see no one, just a rolling mass of deeper blackness in the mist before his eyes. The shadows overbore him and carried him along. Strong arms lifted him up, and now he caught a stench of something long dead, of a rottenness beyond human ken. Human ken? Yeah. You're it's in the story? It's even more rotten. I told you I'm writing this story tomorrow. <laughs> human ken? Yeah, and it's, it's a rottenness that is even worse than me. Beyond human ken? I think it means humankind. In, human like, knowledge. In old, old, old language. Human knowledge. Human knowledge, yes. Beyond human knowledge. Human can. <laughs> Yet not dead, but alive, for the dead have no strength. And here was strength abundant. High, high aloft he was lifted up, up to the altar. The mist that had been before his eyes cleared, and he could still feel unseen shadowy hands that tugged at him, pulled at his feet. Up he went until he could plainly see the fearful carvings on the altar, too horrible even to glance at again. He felt himself wretched and stretched out and out, and then found himself strung between the horns of the mighty altar. The moon had almost set, and it was throwing its last dim rays across the plain. Unseen fingers tore the cotton from his ears, and at last he heard what he had dreaded to hear, that uncanny bestial music of the ruins. It was playing now softly, now rising in a hellish crescendo, while all about him danced the shadows noiselessly, ceaselessly. He turned his eyes away and looked up. Is he, he's either going to die or he's going to be in an orgy. I mean, this is going to be like either a really good night or a really bad night. Well, there's a reason the French call it Le Petit Mort. <laughs> I actually learned that um, via uh, Emily in Paris, the TV show. She's like, I, I thought I heard a little bit more last night. And she goes, what? A little death. An orgasm. <laughs> she yeah. goes, what? Yep. 
All right, let's find out. I have I have a feeling it's gonna get. It's not gonna be a great night for him. It's it's not gonna be so petite. But towering over him was this tremendous man. So, uh, <laughs> towering over him was the tremendous man, or rather the shadow of some giant from the ancient past when the world must have been young and terrible. Stretching his arms towards the dying moon, the man knelt. The music ceased with a throb, and the shadows prostrated themselves in a ring about the altar. They're all on their knees in front of the giant man. The sudden silence beat on Jarvis's frayed nerves more horribly than the din of the music. Long it lasted, this silent prayer to the dying moon. But finally the huge shadow man arose, reached below Jarvis, and took from its hiding place a knife. There was nothing shadowy about the knife. <laughs> the knife flashed fire in the light and glistened evilly before his eyes. Fascinated, Jarvis watched the shadowy arm lift the crescent blade, point foremost towards the moon, hold it still, then lift it again, now hilt foremost, holding it quivering high in the air. Down came the mighty arm toward Jarvis's chest. He saw it begin slowly, oh, so slowly, down, on down, nearer. Then the moon set, and all was blackness and stillness on the moor. From a London paper. Noted novelist disappears. The mysterious disappearance of Gerald Jarvis, one of England's most noted authors, has caused one of the biggest sensations of the day. Mr. Jarvis was spending a weekend at Humbleton on the Moors. According to Edward Johnson, the innkeeper, Mr. Jarvis had sat in the main room of the inn until late and then gone to his room. From there he disappeared. His bed had not been slept in, nor had he undressed for the night. Mr. Jarvis had no enemies, and the police were unable to find a clue to his whereabouts. This is the second tragedy of the kind in this little town, as in many months. The old wives of the village whisper strange things on the moor, and say that Jarvis and Gilbert, the man found murdered last month, knew too much about the ruins on the moor. However, the police laugh at such ideas and believe that Mr. Jarvis was a victim of foul play. The Authors League has offered a reward of a thousand pounds for information as to his whereabouts. The end. Nice. That was creepy as fuck. That was a good one. <laughs> that was gross. Ew. <laughs> And we're sitting out here in the darkness. It's it's kind of like, and it's getting really cold. As you know, it's starting to get chilly. The yeah, temperature has dropped a lot. Yep, like, it does while that. While we read the story, and I was like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that teepee a hike up there is kind of like the uh, the moors. There's there's still no moon out though, so I think we're safe. That is true. It's it's. It it's, seems to only be a real problem when when you're dealing with the with out. the moon being up, and that's when the the shadows That's come true. out to play. That's true. So you stay away, Moon. We're, we're good. We go good. away, Moon. Go away, Moon. No Moon for you. No one asked you here anyway. I'm going to pull my pants down and Moon you. <laughs> Why, thank you. That was a very lovely one. <laughs> and then, But now the shadowy people might show up. That was a, that was a full moon. <laughs> And we've come full circle. <laughs> but nothing, but one, ass Johnson, but shadow. <laughs> but shadow.
I'm being followed by a butt shadow. Butt shadow, butt shadow. Butt shadow. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a story. Uh, very musical. It became very, well, I mean, it, it, was, it actually was very it musical. It was a very yeah, musical story. Actually, like that, that, like, yeah, I can like kind of hear that music. Like it, it does. It feels like uh, after I mentioned Jason Momoa specifically, but like it, it felt very uh, uh, Dothraki, like yeah, like that kind of like that kind of music. Very like very like guttural, death, tribal, tribal, yeah, like dark. Yeah. Um, like well, when, and that like, makes sense because like, because they're they're saying it was uh, pre druidistic, which and the druids were sort of the first. Uh, organized religion yeah. in the area before then it was all that kind of yeah it was tribes and tribal uh, and big um, groups yeah. of like people and and the dothraki this is a game of thrones reference if you don't know everyone who's listening but uh the dothraki were like um warriors yeah. conquerors yeah yeah, it's that like was, that was creepy. I um, I hope I I really I uh, on a, on a sort of serious note, I hope that um that Stuart Strauss was a pen name of someone who wrote a bunch of other stuff because that was actually like a really engaging, well written yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be a shame if really all he ever did was write those three, three short stories, stories for yeah. Weird Tales and then disappeared. Yeah, it was really good, and I, I like. There is that weird inception idea of like he knew the guy that this happened to or something because it's about a guy, a journalist or a novelist, yeah, that experienced something really fucked up, but he doesn't want anyone to know about it and then he disappears. Like it's kind of like, did he know like a novelist that was like looking into something or a detective that was looking into something and then like some he just kind of disappeared and so he kind of created a fictionalized account about it? That's my thought. <laughs> All right. So, listener, please write in and tell us who you think Stuart Strauss really was. What was his real name? Did this actually happen to him? Did it happen to a friend of his? Is it actually Stephen King? Uh Oh. Inquiring minds want to know. So know. go ahead and uh, shoot us that message on any of our social media or send an email to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. That's 5050 arts production with no spaces or underlines or anything uh, at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of this episode generally. And send us this week's secret passcode, which of course is Butt Shadow. Butt Shadows! Um, yeah. Oh, and you know, while you're at it, like us and review us and share us with a bunch of friends and tell them they should do the same thing and, yeah. you know, make us rich and famous and whatnot. Yeah. Because then we can go glamping all the time. <laughs> this was we'll a really record, cool episode. We'll record more more episodes in the real. In the real nature. Yeah. Yeah, I will say this was, a, that was a really fun story to read out here because it was like, I became, well, it was a good story and it was very engaging. Um, and because we are literally surrounded by darkness right now, like it's just a few lanterns like lit. It's, that was really cool. <laughs> and yeah. like reading from my iPad was like the light. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So send us money so we can go glamping more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it for me. You got any got any um, big words of wisdom to follow up with? Uh, no, I'm good. I said a lot of big words during that story, so my, my mouth is tired. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
uh, rock and roll will live on forever. It will. It will. As long as you don't go to the ruins at night in the moonlight. Or fly in a tiny little airplane. Oh, that's... Go see the Buddy Holly story at 2 o'clock. <laughs> and on that note, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Peggy Sue. Peggy, 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 Peggy Sue. Oh, Peggy. Don't go to the ruins. You will be sacrificed. Is this Adam Sandler does Buddy Holly? <laughs> <laughs>